This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Dojo Live. This is Tulio Siragusa. I'm broadcasting from Southern California. Today is Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. I'm joined today by my co-host, partner in crime, Carlos Ponce in Cuernavaca, Mexico. Hey, Carlos, welcome back. Thanks. And it's a floor, pleasure to be here, Tulio. We have our guest today, Livia Kiesman, who is with... Um, 28 Health. And we're going to be talking today about something that is of interest to many of us. Uh, me personally, I've been a supporter for women movement for a long time, especially underserved women. And so we're going to be talking about improving the quality of care for underserved women. Before we get into that topic, let's get to know Livia a little bit. And perhaps you could take a few minutes to introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks, Livia. Sure. Uh, very nice to talk to both of you. I'm very excited uh, about being part of Dojo Live. Um, a little bit about me. My name is Livia. Uh, I work at 28 Health. My background is in biomedical engineering. I've always been passionate about healthcare. This is why I chose that track. Um, and I think that with tech and by being an engineer, you can really conquer the world. So this is why I chose biomedical engineering. Then I started working in a company called Ion Beam Applications, IBA, um, who are building uh, proton therapy centers. So in a couple of words, proton therapy is uh, a new version of radiotherapy, which is more precise. And so it's cancer treatment, and it's especially relevant for kids uh, and for specific tumors. I worked there for five years, did many, many things over there. It was back in Belgium. Uh, after five years, I applied to a grant, which is called the Prince Albert Fund, which is, a, I would say, an equivalent to the Belgian 30 under 30. Uh, and the goal of this grant is uh, to help young, and I'm air quoting this, high potential uh, Belgian people to help uh, Belgian company to go abroad. And so I help a company called Biteflies to go to the US. Uh, I worked with them. Uh, until June last year, and this is when I switched to this new company, 28 Health. Excellent. Nice to meet you. Uh, I know you're broadcasting from New York today. So um, tell us a little bit about 28 Health. Sure. Um, so at 28 Health, our mission is really to increase the access uh, to reproductive and sexual health for underserved women. And I want to focus on underserved women because we think this is the those are the people that really, really need uh, our technology the most. And so how does it work? What do we do? Well, today, any user can go on our website and uh, we're focusing on women and those women will uh, answer a medical questionnaire uh, about a couple of things about their health. They're gonna tell us what they need. They're gonna tell us uh, who they are, etc. This medical questionnaire will be reviewed by one of our doctors. Um, and then if 
the doctor has any questions or if the user has any question, they can communicate either via messages or they can also schedule an audio consultation. Everything is obviously done via telemedicine. Once everything is okay, the doctor will write down a, pre a prescription, which will be sent to our pharmacy partner who will dispense the medication and ship it to the door of the user. And this is a full comprehensive way for the user to get access right now to birth control, but uh, in, in the months to come, uh, also to many other medication uh, in reproductive and sexual health. Great. Well, sure. You got to have a start somewhere, right? So uh, of course. it's very appropriate this month. We're celebrating women, international women, and especially women in tech. That's something that we're, uh, we've been posting almost on a daily basis. The Women Hacker video series that Encora has been putting out. So we're excited to speak with you about this topic and also speak to a woman in tech. So Carlos, let's get right into it. Let's introduce the topic and dig in and see where, where this takes us. Carlos? Carlos might be delayed. I'm not sure. He might be delayed. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce the topic today. We're talking about telemedicine and women's health, how to increase access. And the topic you chose was leveraging tech to enable better access and quality of care for underserved women. So Livia, tell us a little bit about why you chose this topic. Maybe help us understand the severity or the scope of the challenge that you guys are taking on with improving the quality of care for underserved women. What does that look like? What is that uh, solving? How big of a problem is it? So that's a, that's a great question. And as I'm sure you guessed, it's a, it's a huge problem everywhere and especially here in the US. So today, just to give a few numbers like this, uh, there is, uh, it is not required in 33 states to have uh, sex education at school, which is just, you know, just the basics. And those are not taught to uh, children who would need it. So that gives one first aspect. Um, second thing, we have in the U.S. 19.7 uh, million women who are in a contraceptive desert. That means that they, they have no easy access to a, to a hospital, to a doctor, they have no easy access to get uh, birth control. Okay, and I'm, this I'm is sorry to interrupt. Repeat the number again. How many women? 19.7 million. 19.7 million. Is, this is just in the U.S. or worldwide? This is just in the U.S. And those are only women between uh, I mean, that's 13 like, and 44. That's like 8% of the entire U.S. population. That's huge. Okay, please continue. I just wanted to highlight how big of an issue this is. Please. Yes. Um, and so this is really why we want to bring a solution that can be used by anybody, anywhere. We're currently uh, in, a, in a certain number of states and we keep on growing and the goal is really to help as many women as possible. Um, so yeah, that's that's just an overview of the problem right now. Uh, also, other solutions exist on the market uh, that kind of do the same time of telemedicine medication delivery, but no one is focusing on that population. So that's why we really want to focus on Medicaid users as well as uninsured users. 
So break this down for us. Uh, let's assume I'm a woman in a marketplace. I don't have insurance. I don't have a primary doctor. Uh, so and there's 19 million of us. How do we go about improving the quality of care? How does this work? What do you provide? I know you have a questionnaire you mentioned to get an assessment of what their needs are, but you also deliver the medicine to them. Who pays for that? Can you walk us through the ecosystem you've created to serve this marketplace? Sure. Uh, so we have several solutions uh, for uninsured people. Uh, first, we try to have the cheapest solution as possible so that it can be uh, affordable for as many people as possible. So uh, our lowest uh, cash brand is at $18 a month. Uh, and this is something that some of, many of our users use. We also have partnerships with uh, great nonprofits such as uh, Bedsider, who will help those users to be able to pay for this medication where they are not able to do it themselves. And so it's really through partnerships that we try to bring the access to as many women as possible. So question, why did you guys choose the uh, birth control marketplace first? Is there is that one amongst the underserved women and you know the 19 million underserved women is that the biggest challenge is that what kind of impact is that having on their health it just trying to bring some highlight if you could on why why went down that path and what's next of course so yeah it has a huge impact uh birth control being pregnant uh, having a kid it's a, a life changer uh, not only from a personal way, but also more from an uh, economic way. It's, it's something not everybody can afford having many, many children. And so uh, a couple of months ago, I had a user on the phone and she was telling me how important the service was because she really just couldn't afford any other kids. She It was very difficult for her. She didn't have access to healthcare. And so it was really a, a, a life changer for her. Lydia, I have a question for you. Uh, I hope that you can hear me. I had, I'm sorry about uh, when we began because I had a connectivity issue. I couldn't announce the topic. Thank you, Tulio, for stepping in. Uh, so hopefully you'll get me right. Olivia, I'm curious about something. Uh, it's And it's just sort of like a continuation of the intro conversation we've had recently. And I'm wondering in, in this context of uh, health and health, um, uh, how can I say this? Well tech health or health-related matters, what sort of um, changes or behaviors have you seen that have been uh, affected or what sort of situations in families or for women as a whole would you say that have shifted or changed or uh, morphed somehow during this time that a lot of people in the U.S. have, well, across the world, but specifically in the U.S., have had to stay at home. How has the the the, the repeated lockdowns affected people and women, especially, in health matters? What how would you, what, how would you say to that? I'm curious, please. It's a, it's a very broad question, and uh, I could give so many answers. But one thing that I can say is that. First, at the beginning of COVID, we saw a huge decrease in the number of people going to the doctor, cancellation into 
consultation. And globally, this is very bad for the whole healthcare system because you shouldn't just have your medication and go to the doctor only mm -hmm. when it's, in a, it's an emergency. Mm -hmm. And then what we saw is a very big shift into telemedicine. And so mm -hmm. numbers are really, really big. Uh, about 30% uh, of all consultations in the US were done on via telemedicine during the COVID year, which is a huge shift in mindset, really huge. Mm -hmm. um, also, something that we saw is that in 2019, 11% of people said that they would use telemedicine, and now we're about 50%. So really, I think this mindset was previously due, like originally it's due to COVID, but I'm really hoping this is something that is gonna stick because mm -hmm. it opens the it opens it opens healthcare to so many other people who don't take the time who don't have the time to really go to the doctor mm -hmm. yeah and and also in uh, specifically in the tech space that has had to focus on telemedicine for example there's there's been a lot of effervescence there's a lot of activity there there are uh, new tools and strategies out there that are helping people to communicate with their doctors and to receive either treatment remotely or medicine. So, so in in the case of underserved women, uh, have you seen uh, like an? Imp would you say let let? And I'm just saying this loosely, okay? And from the from the layman points of layman's point of view, uh, how would you would you have you witnessed that this particular segment of the population? I'm talking about underserved women has easily adopted these changes that have surfaced or boomed amidst a pandemic? So I think uh, really the barriers that those women face on a daily basis, not having the time to go to the doctor, not having the time to commute, not being able to schedule a meeting with a doctor, all of those got even bigger barriers during COVID. And so, and even bigger, mm. especially for that population. And mm -hmm. so that's why uh, I think that we saw a huge increase in need and in demand from those population because they really they really look for a solution that is adapted to their needs specifically. Okay. Thank you, Livia. Uh, okay, I got just a few more coming up. Uh, Tulio, please. Yeah, I'm curious in terms of using technology, um, what is it about the platform that you find to be unique in terms of making it easy for this uh, communication to take place? Is it on an app, on the web? Do you allow phone call? How is that working? What kind of uh, platform, what does the platform look like? So we have a really, uh, everything is on the website. Uh, it's a web app and it's really, really easy to understand. And so, I'm going to say that from someone whose English is not a native language, uh, I think the the whole website, the whole medical questionnaire is really, really understandable. And I'm insisting on that because sometimes medical question can be a bit tricky and we really try to make it as understandable for everybody as possible. So the user will really go on the website and go through the questionnaire, which is easy to understand. And then everything will happen via the dashboard that they have uh, on that website. And so that's where they will be able to communicate with the doctor. That's where they're going to see 
uh, some updates about the delivery. They will also be able to communicate via email with our ops team. And so they really have that one place where everything is happening. Excellent. So okay. what's we talked about this was a starting point for your company. What are some of the potential future uh, efforts to expand medical care treatment uh, for this marketplace? Have you guys thought about some additional capabilities? What are what could those be? That's an excellent question. And actually, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of background. So what I'm doing in the company, I'm the strategic projects manager. So I'm in charge of two main projects and some others that are not interesting for here. The first one is the state expansion. And the second one is the product expansion. So if I go first into the product expansion, uh, currently we're doing contraceptive, but we want to go really to more reproductive and sexual health. In, in that, we can find uh, STI uh, testing and medication. We could think about herpes, cyst infection. We have many options, and we want to bring as many solutions to our users as possible. And then from the other side, uh, we are launching more and more states. Uh, we just announced that we launch on the West Coast and in the Midwest. And this is very, very exciting because we want to bring our solution to as many women as possible. Fantastic. So you just joined the organization this June. So it's been um, eight months, nine months. What's the culture like in the environment? How big is the company? What are some of the things you're discovering that uh, that makes it an interesting place to work? I mean, it's a it's an incredible place to work. We are uh, we're still a startup, so it's still a fairly small team. But one of the big difference I've noticed is that everybody is really, really, really motivated by the mission. Uh, an example that I can give from that is every Friday we have a team meeting where we just give the business updates to everybody. And one section of that is just going through the feedbacks that we received from users. And we we can read the stories of th those users. And so I, I would say this is the first big thing. Uh, then another thing, people were telling me, you're going to work in New York, you're going to work in the US. No one is eating lunch. You eat lunch while being on the phone, while working. But actually, the culture of the company is so nice. And so we really spend the time. And I'd, I'd like to say that I arrived in the company during COVID. So that's very weird as well. I've never met my colleagues. Yeah. However, I feel like some of them could be my friends. We get along super well. We organize plenty of activities to really stay connected. And so I'm really, I'm more than happy to be a part of this company. Livia, I got a quick question here too, regarding the, um, let's call it the operational aspect of, of 28 Health. What, I, what I'm seeing is that you have, a, you have a, a service or a company, a platform, that has different components. On one end, uh, on one side, you have, well, the end user or the client, and then you have the providers, you have insurance companies, you have, I, I assume that because you deliver, you have uh, uh, logistics and transportation and, you know, or, or, you know, things like that. So considering the overall picture of the company, what would you say that, and, 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 and tying into your role, uh, 
as a project manager, what would you say that in this day and age is the most challenging aspect that needs to be overcome in order to better serve your customer base? I think that's uh, one thing that we will still need to fight for and continue improving on is continuing to go further and further into the number of women that we can reach. Um, today, um, we are in already many states, but I really, I really, really wish that we could be in more and we're working and being in more. And actually something that is um, a bit difficult is that state re legislation regarding telemedicine is very, very different. So you would go from one state where you can do everything through an online questionnaire and then on the other end of the range, you have other states where you can't even have a prescription written without an in-person meeting. And mm -hmm. so this is something where we really need to understand each state regulation and try and go further and further. Okay. And, and well, that's about the operational aspect or the, the, the logistics. And specifically about the tech aspect, what, what do you think that needs to or could uh, you know maybe get better in the future or what has worked well what hasn't worked so well in general what what would you say about the the tech component of uh 28 health what what sort of uh, uh uh let's call it stumbling rocks that you have had to put aside in order to have it work seamlessly operationally I think one of the big steps uh, that will help us move is to include the video in our app, which we currently don't. So uh, currently our system is a medical questionnaire with uh, an optional uh, audio consultation and with messaging. Adding the video to that, which is obviously a higher text challenge, uh, will really enable us to um, talk to many more women. You're talking about a live live video feed, right? That's what you're talking about, mm -hmm. and the correct, same for audio. Mm, yes, interesting. That's where that's where uh, I can I can I, I can sense that that's where it's going to get really really interesting. Uh, yeah, because there's a lot of moving parts, and uh, so yeah, look forward to that. So yeah, back back to you too, Leo. Please. Yeah, this is a very eye opening. I mean, the the challenges you guys are taking on. Not only is it uh, a pretty big problem but then when you make it available you have also <laughs> some of the legal blockages that make it hard why is it that some of these states uh can they make exceptions as a change a little have they loosened up as for example as a result of covid and is there anyone lobbying for making these changes at these state levels where there's still undeserved women in these states that are not gaining the care that they need. And the only limitation from what I'm hearing is a legal one that that, that already has presidents in other states, but that's not an issue. How do you guys work through that? Is there some, some you know, representatives that are pushing for changes? Any, any updates on that? So, yeah, I mean that's definitely one of the one of the trickiest things. And something that we have seen and that I think is very encouraging is state leg legislation changing 
during COVID, really allowing telemedicine, uh, being able to talk to your doctors without going to the hospital. Those changes uh, are supposed to be only for the COVID time period. However, in some states, we see them changing. We see them making it permanent. In New York State, Governor Cuomo just decided to make it something that will not change in the future, that telemedicine should be accepted overall. I hope that this change is what's going to happen in other states and that we will open more and more uh, telemedicine. And with the numbers that we see, uh, as I told you before, 30% of the consultations last year were done through telemedicine. I can only see it going into that direction. Excellent. Well, we wish you a lot of success with that. Uh, we certainly know the absolute need for these kinds of services. And uh, technology definitely makes access easier and simpler. So we're encouraged by that. And we congratulate you guys for the success you're having and hope that you continue to expand on that. Um, you know, as we part ways today, uh, you know, as uh, you, you've had an interesting background, you lived in different countries, and here you are now dealing with the U.S. market and tackling a very important issue. Is there anything that you uh, have, any words of wisdom in terms of what you've learned so far that we could perhaps learn from other countries or vice versa on how to better serve uh, patients in the marketplace? That's, that's a very good question and a difficult one to answer because healthcare, I've worked in Europe and I've worked in the US and those are two fundamentally different markets for several reasons. I think one of them is reimbursement. Uh, in one care, in one place, it's public. So in Europe, it's public. It means that much more people have access to healthcare. However, it also means that any technology advancement, anything new is much more difficult to bring on market. US is the exact opposite, where everything is, reimbursement is private. I mean, not, every, not all reimbursement, but most reimbursement is private, which means that it's much more technologically savvy. And we can see that uh, their patients are eager to have some new technologies. However, the access is much less. So it's really difficult to find the right balance between those two things because you want to have the best available healthcare for everybody. And so I think this is something that we should all work on. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting. And I think technology is what bridges the gap on those costs of delivering services uh, and even patient care. So hopefully uh, uh, with the more privatization that we have and more competition on the technology sector, that reduces the cost of uh, goods as well and, and improves quality of service overall. Maybe Europe can take some lessons from that and maybe we can take some lessons about making access to everyone too. So who knows? We'll see what happens. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, Livia. Thanks for joining us. Just stay with us as we go off the air. Carlos, what have we got coming up for the rest of the week? Oh, absolutely. We have two more conversations, Julio. Tomorrow, we'll be speaking with Brad Hollister and Jason Swanson, the CEO and co-founder and CTO, respectively, of Swan Leap. And on the topic of 
from Craigslist to the Inc. 500 list, revolutionizing shipping and logistics technology. And then on Thursday, we are going to be speaking with uh, Ariel, uh, Ariel Lope, uh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, with Ariel Lopez, yes, I got, I was right, from net.io, a talent evaluation platform for recruiters. So that's what we have remaining for this week. That's tomorrow and then on Thursday, right here. By the way, the one the one on Wednesday is uh, the one at 10 a.m., uh, just so that you know. It's not the one at 12 noon. It's the one at 10 a.m. That's the All one right. tomorrow. That's what we have. And then, of course, the, the recap show on Monday. Exactly. So everyone, you could check out the site. We have a add to the calendar button now on every episode. You can easily click and your on comments. it. Don't forget the comments. Yes, and we want to hear your comments as well. But you can add it to your calendar. If you see a show coming up that you really want to hear, you have, we've added that feature recently so you can have it and can remind yourself. And if you like what you hear or you have a question, put it in the comments. We'll respond. Thanks for being with us. Stay safe. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.